understand, okay, you, you can win an argument, you can try to convince them of that, but, but it's problematic in that you're trying to get them to change their whole life's orientation. You're knocking the legs out from their understanding of reality. And you can c- convince them and win the argument, but, but you're not going to win the war. Once again, Muslim terrorists a terrorist have slaughtered innocent Islamic people extremists and extremists now Islamic control terrorism. much of the country. The Their brand of justice is brutal and deadly. Flash America, these Muslim extremists are, uh, are alive and well. They are not dead, and their video is not gratuitous, and it certainly is not irrelevant. It is a warning. Welcome to the Truth About Muslims podcast, the official podcast of the Zwemer Center for Muslim Studies, where we help to educate you beyond the media. Here are your hosts, Howard and Trevor. Okay, we are with Dr. Jerry Rankin in the studio today, and we are going to be discussing worldview, particularly the conflicting worldviews between Christians and Muslims, and how this is often perceived as a barrier to sharing your faith with a Muslim. So it's really good to have Dr. Rankin back with us again. He has had 40 years working in the International Mission Board, 17 of those years as president, and 23 of those years is working with Muslims in Southeast Asia. So we always appreciate the the wealth of knowledge that he brings to the table. So, Jerry, thanks so much for joining us again to discuss worldviews. Well, it's good to be with you, and uh, I think this is a very important topic in understanding of communicating the gospel cross-culturally. Uh, Christians, uh, especially in America, have not had much experience with that. We all... Uh, witness from a theistic worldview and just make the assumption, you know, everybody believes in God, you know, they understand man is a sinner and, you know, it's easy to explain to them why Jesus is the only way because he died for our sins and believing on him. But uh, when you witness to people of other religions and other cultures, uh, we don't really understand worldviews that they're viewing reality from a different perspective. Yeah, could you kind of go into that a little bit more? What is what exactly is a worldview? Because I don't hear that term, you know, tossed around even even in social media. I mean, right? I think missions, missionaries, missions uh, people, mission schools, and seminaries. We talk about worldview nonstop. The, what is the German term? The Weltanschauung, the worldview. But what exactly is a worldview? Well, first it needs to be said, it's not one's knowledge of global geography. <laughs> well, you know, well you, done. You just well done. throw out that world and said, oh yeah, I've traveled a lot. Uh, you know, I've got I know a globe. Where, country, where countries are on the map. No, it's not how you view the world uh, geographically such as that, but it's how particular cultures seek to make sense of life. It impacts their values, their relationships, their behavior, their morality, uh, the supernatural. Now, we, we see cultures, differences in cultures, how people dress, the different food they eat, uh, you know, their social order, their customs. That's evident. That's the, their, their culture. Worldview is more subtle. It's the unseen that affects, okay, what do they really know and think about God? And what is man in relation to God? What is their sense of the afterlife and the spirit world? Uh, that's, that's a worldview because all of that works together in a dynamic that makes sense 
to their life and their community. So in, in some sense, we could say worldview helps us to make sense of the world in which we live. It's how we view the world, almost like a pair of glasses that we would put on, spectacles. We view the world through these lenses that we have. Exactly. Uh, and people grow up knowing this is how the world works. And it's unthinkable that anyone would think of these things from a different way. And so that's why they have trouble bridging a barrier. So when we're talking about God, when we're talking about eternal life, when we're talking about sin, it has altogether different meanings from someone from another society. For example, Eastern mysticism, there's no concept of God. Uh, you know, there's no responsibility for sin. Uh, so, so you're saying there's different worldviews even within our culture in America. Um, because you're, you're talking about sin and, 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 you know, God and all these kind of things. And there's a lot of people in the States that don't, uh, believe that, but we do kind of have somewhat of a similar worldview. So there's, uh, there's all these other elements. Is that what you're saying to worldview, like their faith, their upbringing, um, yeah, the region of the of the United States that they live in, that kind of thing? Well, it is, uh, and it's uh, played out in, in very practical ways. I remember hearing a story of an American friend asking his Chinese, uh, he'd gone to a funeral of a, a relative, and he asked him, when is your uh, deceased relative going to eat that food you've just placed on his grave? And the Chin Whoa. Chinese friend replied, well, when your deceased relative smells the flowers that you placed on his grave. Whoa. So, nice. you know, why, why do we do these things? Uh, you know, what, what do we really believe, you know, about afterlife? There was a time when everyone thought the world was flat. That was a worldview. And to got believe it. differently was heretical. People right. got killed yeah, because they didn't believe I'm pretty sure there's some burning that. at the stake for that kind of uh, dissension. So, how, so how much how of our view affects our lifestyle? Okay, so let's think about for ourselves. Um, it'll help us kind of see our own worldview. How much of what we do in our Christian faith is a result of worldview that might not necessarily be scriptural? Do you know what I mean? Like, are there things that we do and practice in our faith that maybe they're not necessarily biblical, maybe they're not anti-biblical, but we do them because it's more cultural and part of the way in which we view the world? Christmas trees. <laughs> Yeah. Nice. Howard is against Christmas trees. Well, if you people can believe that Howard is against Christmas trees, it's I, true. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. Well, um, in, in more subtle ways, uh, you know, Western culture is very individualistic. We make our own decisions. You know, we have the freedom to do that, choose our own lifestyle and so forth. Uh, that is unthinkable in most other cultures who are communal cultures. You don't make an individual decision apart from approval of the clan or the elders or unless they make that decision as well. And, and that's just a, a you know, simple way that our Christian witness is affected. We, we try to confront individuals, get them to repent, believe and accept Christ and believe. And they hadn't passed this through you know, they're, they're elders, they're areas of accountability and responsibility. That's why many missionaries are discovering, you know, group conversion and small group evangelism so that they come to Christ as community, you know, rather than extracting individuals is the way to impact lostness in other cultures. And so would you even say that that would, uh, 
the, uh, basically uh, influence the way we even read our Bibles as individuals? It, it does. We're, we're reading our Bibles from a, a certain worldview and perspective of our understanding of God that is very thoroughly ingrained, you know, in American culture and, and history uh, and how we relate to them. Others read the same Bible and they're filtering a different thing. For example, when I lived in Thailand, I remember a missionary giving me orientation, said, okay, you use John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Okay, first of all, Buddhists don't believe in God. So you've missed them already. They have no concept of what you're talking about. So loved, they have no concept except self-serving erotic love. Well, that's not what you mean. And the world is the cosmos that you are trying to get delivered from through enlightenment and a nirvana, why would anyone love the world? You know, that is the opposite of the materialistic things. You want delivered from that. So, so you, just the whole worldview, you missed him with our terminology uh, just, all the way down the line. Just thinking in terms of, of individualistic um, societies, I mean, I remember even here in the United States, I worked with a uh, Korean church for five years and did interviews with a lot of the students and came to determine that even the idea of ethics, um, why do I make the decisions that I make? Well, it isn't necessarily because of any particular punishment. It's really because I don't want to bring a great deal of shame upon my parents having failed in something. And so their ethic was communal. It was a communal Mm -hmm. ethic, not an individualistic one, not based on a coercive violence or a fear that they might go to jail, but really, I don't want to, you know, make my parents look bad. And that was really interesting, even though some of them had been raised in the United States, they still had that worldview of how uh, ethics happen, which is interesting. And that kind of blends over to other cultures, especially uh, Muslim cultures. I think we can make that place it's is we're, we're, we're ingrained to what's right and wrong you know you do what's right whatever the consequences if people are hurt if they're offended you know you you speak truth you do what is right in other cultures it's a shame honor uh worldview you don't do anything to embarrass or shame your family or your culture or your religion you live for their honor and so you have to understand that is why they would kill their own children if they convert to Christianity or if a daughter is, is found in, in adultery, that they would actually kill it. They have brought such shame on their, their family. So the show wouldn't be possible without sponsors. And this week's sponsors are... Zwammer Center. Zwammer Center. Zwammer Center. The Zwammer Center. Zwammer Center. And what does the Zwammer Center do? Talks about Muslims and, and tells them on the computer that we love you. Very nice. The Zwemmer Center equips the church to reach Muslims. The Zwemmer Center has been educating people about reaching Muslims before it was cool. And uh, it's why saving face, this is exasperating from Americans. Uh, when I have my car repaired, you know, well, I need it this afternoon. Okay, it'll be ready this afternoon. The mechanic knows it's not going to be ready that afternoon, but he doesn't want me to lose face. You know, he doesn't want to lose face right now, so he tells me something he knows is not true. And uh, you, you just have a whole different perspective of life. Yeah, it is interesting. I, you know, of course, I'm Korean. Growing up Korean, it was very, very difficult for me to, you know, grow up in a Western mentality but live in an Eastern kind of culture. 
uh, and vice versa in, in many ways, just going to school. But uh, it's kind of funny now that I'm older, it kind of just tickles me a little bit because my senior pastor at our Korean church, it, whatever he says, we have to do. And I'm American, so I just basically say, no, no I can't do that. And so he'll say, well, pray about it. And that's his way of saving face. Mm-hmm. He helps me to save face. Uh, he <laughs> saves face. And we both know I'm not going to do it. But he just says, pray about it. (laughs) And so it it is interesting. I think for Westerners, uh, myself included, it's really hard to kind of get into the mind uh, of these Muslims, especially with the worldview. Could you share a little bit, uh, any other distinctions that you found uh, between Muslims? Well, I think one that is very prominent is uh, the the sacred and the secular. And in our Western worldview, and I'd say this has permeated our Christian worldview as well, though it shouldn't. We clearly delineate to what is sacred and relates to God and our worship and the rest of life and, and what, is, uh, what, is, what is secular in the world out there and our job and our family and schooling and, and everything else we do and relationships with neighbors. Uh, you mean like being a Sunday Christian? Oh, you and said then it. That's, <laughs> I, I, that's what I was thinking of. I mean, Sunday Christian and that's sort of it. Well, and, and we just think in our, our behavior and what we do in right and wrong is, you know, we, we conform to society rather than driven by, you know, a relationship with God and what he's leading us to do and what honors and glorifies him. We kind of set that aside and this is our prayer life. This is our morning devotional life. This is going to church. But in the Muslim world and most other cultures, religion and the uh, rest of life is so entwined, you can't really separate it from culture. It affects everything they they do. And so when you're witnessing and seeking to get them to consider following Christ, actually changing their religion, you're impacting every aspect of life. And it gets very complex and complicated and difficult for them to understand and comprehend that. Uh, I don't know about you, listeners, but uh, my mind is being blown right now. <laughs> so the idea that uh, worldview, this undercurrent, uh, just kind of actually shapes even the way we process uh, scripture, process truth, process experiences. And, uh, you know, I know as a, as a Christian, you know, we feel a lot of guilt, you know, and for Dr. Rankin to, you know, basically say that that's a lot of an, uh, an individualistic construct, you know, as opposed to, as opposed to what a lot of other cultures feel like, you know, being shame-based and not feeling guilty. <laughs> it, it, it's a whole different feel of, uh, of what, uh, it means to do wrong and right and our motivations for it. So with Muslims, you're saying, uh, that it might nece- not necessarily be be uh, having to do with um, guilt motivating them or wanting to do what, what is right or what is wrong from an individual sense, but as a communal sense. This is who we are. This is our people. We're not separating into compartments. We are Muslim. Well, and we normally, uh, that plays out in our Christian witness presenting the plan of salvation. Mm. You know, it, this is all sacred. This is all religious, you know, and, and it doesn't right. impact life altogether and take that in consideration. And Christian witnessing to Muslims, you know, trying to transcend those worldviews is like trying to merge Duck Dynasty and Downton Abbey. <laughs> I mean, can I like you can you imagine <laughs> taking those two reality shows and the sitcoms, the scripts, the language, the values and Duck Dynasty and Downton Abbey being merged into one program. There's such a conflict of cultures. I, I'd, there. Wa- I'd watch that. Wait, no, no. Which which one are which one's Christian? Which one's Muslim? The... <laughs> yeah. Well, the point is they're just radically different, and but that's a good way for us to perceive of uh, 
trying to cross worldviews. And so you're saying that we kind of prevent ourselves from even sharing the gospel because we separate in our own worldview, religion, and everyday, every, every, everyday life, secular. Well, we may be a diligent witness and know how to communicate the gospel in the context of our worldview. Oh. And what I'm saying is that doesn't work when you're trying to communicate that to someone with a different worldview. Right. Okay. I get what you're saying. I mean, like, like prayer. I mean, to the Muslim, prayer is not communi- communion with a personal God who hears and answers those prayers. He's just quoting, you know, ritualistic, uh, you know, slogans and uh, statements and texts that, you know, this just repetitive. But there's no concept of a personal loving God that's hearing and responding to your prayers. So yeah. the worldview is, is altogether different. It, it's all these concepts that are kind of we use in everyday language, but it means something totally different to them. Well, I think about even as Americans, um, we have a little bit of a view that says you pray alone in your room, or if you fast, you do it alone and you don't tell anyone, or if you're practicing some other spiritual discipline, you do it alone and you say nothing. And so I've met some Muslims that are like, oh, I I just didn't know Christians prayed because they don't pray publicly, whereas a Muslim... A lot of the Muslims I've known, it's very much a, they'll make it a point to let you know it's time for prayer because it's something that you show. It's an act of being pious and faithful in your religion. And so, whereas we're trying not to offend somebody by praying publicly, a Muslim's thinking, well, they must not believe in God because they don't ever pray. I've never seen them pray once. Mm -hmm. And so it's a very different way of looking at the world. We come from a society that says you keep your prayer life in your house, you know, your religion and your politics, you don't bring them out publicly. And you go over to a Muslim world, and it's like, well, your religion and your politics, that's the first things that we're going to talk about. And so it's different worldviews. Well, the, uh, y- you know, there's a lot in common because Christians and Muslims both have a theistic worldview. And there, there's really a lot of common in believing in one God, you know, a sovereign, almighty, creator, God, uh, and I would use that commonality often in, in witness, uh, you know, you're, you're a Muslim, I'm a Christian, you know, but we have a lot in common, you know, we below both, uh, believe God and worship him and, you know, want to please him and want to serve him. But, you know, we have this, this, uh, often then I always ask, but, but do you know him? You know, and that would just be a ridiculous question. Well, of course not, you know, uh, he's so transcendent. So high, you know, you can't know God. He's not a personal God. And I would just simply say, uh, can I tell you how I came to know God and uh, relate my testimony experience, which was just uh, a, a, a strange, phenomenal type thing for them to even hear and consider. But I wasn't imposing that on him, that you need to worship my God and know him and understand him. I was sharing how I came to know God. And that would usually open the door to begin to discuss our contrast in worldviews, concept of God and sin and afterlife, and uh, some very productive conversations that would really uh, open people's hearts. All right, this week's sponsors. CIU. CIU. CIU educates people from a biblical biblical world review. Worldview. World, World view. 
CIU educates people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. So when we think about trying to communicate sin with a Muslim, I mean, just in my own thought, I'm thinking uh, there's a hadith in, in Islam that basically, it says something along the lines of, if Allah has shielded something that you've done wrong in the night, don't let it be revealed in the day. And so for a Western missionary to come over and say, so do you have sin in your life? I mean, it's a, it's a foolish question. I mean, they're not going to admit it, whereas we have this worldview that says, you know, if you've you know, sinned, that you should confess your sin and let things in darkness come to light. And they're having a worldview that says, hey, if God's allowed something to be covered in the darkness of night, don't bring it to revelation in the day. And then we ask the question, do you have sin in your life? And we can't figure out why. Like, why doesn't this Muslim admit that he has sin in his life? And we're speaking two very different languages, first of all, about the nature of sin, and second, secondly, whether or not we should tell people about our sin. Well, that, that's a good illustration of the conflicting worldview uh they we know that they're sinners they know what sin is but there's no responsibility for sin and for the christian we're going to be judged on the basis of our sin that's what separates us from god we've got to find some way you know that can cancel out those sins that we can stand before a just god it has nothing to do with the muslim hope of afterlife and paradise. I mean, it's just dependent on a arbitrary, punitive God, inshallah, you know, if God wills. And so there's no responsibility to do anything about your sin. And so often our discussion, just like strangers passing in the night, we're discussing two different concepts. And so uh, for our listeners out there who, like we've been encouraging every week, uh, for the most part, to witness to Muslims, or to share with Muslims, uh, how would you give them advice to uh, overcome these worldview differences? Well, uh, understand uh, in in discussing worldviews, for example, you want them to believe in God, you want to accept them, accept Jesus Christ as exclusive uh, uh, Savior uh, from their sins. Understand, okay, you you can win an argument, you can try to convince them of that, but but it's problematic in that you're trying to get them to change their whole life's orientation. You're knocking the legs out from their understanding of reality. And you can c- convince them and win the argument, but, but you're not going to win the war, you know, and really uh, get them. So you need to understand the, the similarity, what is meant by these words. And I think one of the greatest approach, uh, approaches to ask your question is ask them to explain their worldview. You know, just ask questions. What do you believe about God? You know, well, uh, what do you believe? Uh, We're all sinners. Uh, You know, God is a holy and righteous God. Uh, How does this affect our relationship with God and hope of uh, what happens to us after we die? What's your concept of paradise and, and how you get there? And let them explain that. And often you'll find they have some real difficulties making sense of what what they believe. And through that kind of dialogue that's in a context of respect and understanding and sincerity in wanting to know opens the door for you explaining your worldview, not just the plan of salvation, but what's behind your beliefs about God. Yeah, something you just said, I never really even thought about, but uh, because Muslims and and a lot of these other cultures do not separate, they don't compartmentalize um, their secular and sacred lives, 
And uh, so when you do uh, basically ask them to to follow Jesus, if they want to follow Jesus, when they do, they are actually switching entire world worldviews, the way they perceive, the way they are uh, perceived in community, how they relate to others. And that is a that is a I think that's a miracle, actually. Well, to just show how it affects their their lifestyle and their whole orientation and worldview, uh, I found it's it's not often religious differences and arguments. You know, we want to isolate it. It's back to our sacred and secular. You can pigeonhole a religious argument, but it, it but it affects life. I remember talking with a Muslim that just seemed to have a heart that was open. I mean, such a readiness to become a follower of Christ. And the barrier, he asked me, if I do this and become a Christian, who will my daughter marry? Wow. I mean, I, it never occurred to me that that would be problematic. Well, I mean, what's the issue here? They will hock their life savings and go into debt in order to pay a dowry and marry their daughter well. If they don't, shame will go with them the rest of their life and all of their family. And the following generations, I would. Exactly. I mean, that's the thing. We can only think in terms of my life, maybe my kids' lives. If I'm really wide, you know, down the road, my grandkids' lives, but they're thinking in terms of generations that they won't even get to meet. So we aren't talking on that level. I mean, we're just talking about some spiritual concepts of faith and following Christ and don't understand the context in a worldview. Another one I often countered was if, if I do this and, and become a Christian, follow Christ, and you could see that the understanding was there, you know, the readiness, right. the truth of this. But, but the barrier there, where will I be buried? Yeah, that, and again, right. not in the Muslim cemetery. I mean, what a dilemma to put your family in, nowhere to, you know, dispose of this deceased body because he had become a Christian and, you know, it'd be blasphemous to be married in our, our cemetery. And, and I think for us as Westerners, we just think, well, you know, like we always go against our parents or, you know, we don't have a problem doing that. That's, there's such a precedent for that in our culture. But for these countries, right, for these Muslims, uh, that would be, you know, turning their entire world upside down. And, uh, and probably the most prominent uh, one that's reflected here is uh, Muslims as, as well as others. You know, once they consider, okay, the only way of salvation is through Jesus Christ. Now, if I do this and affirm that's what I believe, what am I reflecting about my grandparents, my ancestors, others who are dying without Christ? I'm affirming that they're in hell. And it's easier not to accept the truth of Christ than have to live with that reality of the mistake of the lostness of those who don't know Christ in their family, the ones they love. And th this might be a little bit Western in thinking, but maybe they even, they're even affirming that everyone else is wrong. Everyone in the community, their, 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 their ancestors, I mean, that's, it's pretty tragic. I think it's a huge decision. Well, and in a communal culture, realize how difficult that is. Well, not, not just that, but if, if they're thinking in terms of there's no separation between the secular and the sacred— in following Christ, it means I agree with everything that the U.S. does in foreign policy because it's a Christian nation. Mm -hmm. I agree with everything that happens, and I'm always for Israel and on Israel's side because it came from a Christian nation. That's the way they're viewing it, that this is a Christian sort of us-against-them mentality. And so for them, the shifting to following Jesus 
really gets muddied with a whole lot more than it probably should because they can't even separate themselves. And some Christians, of course, don't want to separate that either. But for them, it's like, I don't want to be culturally like you. And I think that the gospel probably has room for them to be able to retain a lot more identity than sometimes we think. It's almost like you're undoing this worldview, and it's such a complex thing, but we have to trust that the Holy Spirit's in the process, right? I think that's the assurance that we have. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, the real challenge is, uh, you know, we just see it as uh, building a faith bridge. How can you convince them of the truth of Christianity, you know, the gospel of Christ, uh, you know, that Christ died for your sins, and, you know, how it's essential to believe on him. Uh, you know, that's, that's a very narrow niche, that you've you've got to build a worldview bridge before you can build that faith bridge. You've got to talk about the gospel in a way that makes sense in the context of their worldview. Uh, something that popped into my head as you were talking, but they all you know they also have to see it in their uh, in your daily life. They don't, they can't see it separated the way a lot of Westerners try to. And that's something that Trevor's always mentioned, you know, like, you know, uh, when they see you acting out like a Christian when they don't have to, uh, it's pretty astounding. And so, yeah, that's, that's pretty amazing. Well, I've seen this, uh, of course, in, in the love and compassion that's shown for Christians. Uh, in fact, uh, there was a massive response to, you remember the tsunami in Asia, when hundreds of thousands were killed, villages devastated. It was Christian humanitarian agencies and churches that that swept into there with aid and rebuilding and ministering to the people. And the question began to ask, where are all our Muslim brothers? You know, from the Middle East and, you know, the leaders and so forth. Why aren't they here pouring aid? And, And there was some, you know, but it wasn't with the love and compassion of boots on the ground and people showing compassion there. All right, so this show wouldn't be possible without sponsors. And at this point in the show is where if you want to partner with us, we would put your ad. So if you want to be a part of the show, you, you want like, to partner with us. You like what we're doing. You want to be on our team, what have you. Bring this show to the world. Then email us and let us know. And you see in their worldview uh, an attitude of vengeance. You know, when you've been harmed, somebody's killed, you have the, you, you know, their, their worldview authorizes revenge and you just create this killing cycle. Uh, why is there such lack of uh, appreciation for the sanctity of life that they would so readily, you know, just, just kill and suicide bombers and committed to destruction and so forth, thinking that would gain merit. How radical that worldview is compared to a Christian's compassion who wants to save people and minister to them medically and in times of suffering and so forth. So that witness helps to bridge worldviews more than any of our words or our rational arguments would do. And I, and I think that even we as Americans need more of that because if you think in terms of a lot of people want to um, forget the passages where we're called to love our enemy, and I've you know I've constantly said I've never said that these radical Muslims aren't Muslim. There are definitely some radical Muslims out there. That's not really the point for me. The point is even the radicals need to hear about Jesus. Um, we often forget 
that the gospel is supposed to transcend our own culture and worldview, and we're supposed to follow Christ first and not allow that to be watered down by, you know, even our secular worldview, our postmodern worldview, our modern worldview. I think about even apologetics, right? I, I watch people try apologetics with Muslims, and they're approaching it from a very modern worldview, argument. You know, I make my my point, and I can test it, and I can prove it. And a Muslim's looking at you thinking, sorry, buddy, I've got a theistic worldview. All you really needed to say was God preserves his word, and that would have been enough. <laughs> you know, instead, we want to we explain how this can be proved from textual criticism, and they're thinking, why are you even testing your Bible? What's wrong with you people? <laughs> So anyway, it's a really interesting conversation worldview, and I think uh, one of the ways that I've seen it described, um, for those of you that haven't really thought about it much, is the tip of an iceberg. Um, You see the tip of the iceberg, and that's kind of the visual aspects of things that represent worldview. But underneath the, the water is the worldview. That's what's the tip of the iceberg is culture and some of the things that you can actually see. But underneath that gigantic iceberg that might be 10 times the size of what you can see is the worldview. It's submerged beneath the surface. Sometimes we aren't even aware of it. And uh, we do. We have to build bridges. Well, especially with Islam, we need to realize we're communicating from a religious niche in isolation of the rest of life so much. Now we're talking about afterlife and Christian character and, you know, sin and so forth, but they're seeing this as all of life. It's not just an isolated niche of what you believe about God and what you, what you do about sin. And so if we could kind of sum up, well, how do you approach it? There's a lot that can be read and understood and try to be open-minded about seeing beyond just the words, the terminology, and interpreting them through our perceptions, but seek to understand what they believe, to ask questions very respectfully, uh, showing an interest, and that invariably leads to an opportunity for you to express your worldview, what you understand about God, and our, our need for salvation, not in a confrontational way of preventing and trying to persuade them but just testifying to your experience. Okay, if they're hearing this, they're evaluating that and your worldview in a very significant way because it's such a contrast to what they believe. And then uh, to present in a way that makes sense in their worldview, you know, trying to explain salvation uh, from their perspective of sin and the afterlife, the nature of God, uh, in a way that I understand not arguing about right or wrong, you're, which is right, which is wrong, but just uh, in that context. And it's when you communicate in that worldview that then you can begin to lead them to a faith bridge that applying it to them. But all of that is predicated on building a relationship bridge of developing a relationship of trust where you can have these kinds of conversations. Uh, Dr. Rankin? As we wrap this up, what uh, are there any resources, any books that you'd recommend our listeners to read if they're interested in this topic? I've got one offhand. Uh, Roland Mueller's book, um, The Message, The Messenger, 
in the community is what it's called. He, he's the one who wrote Honor and Shame, and I've actually um, written him and asked if we could get him on the podcast, but he has an excellent book about uh, honor-shame paradigms and culture and how to present the gospel in the context of an honor-shame community. And it's done differently. Howard, you would really appreciate it, you know, coming and being raised in a honor-shame society and our honor-shame family. So that that's a really good one. Dr. Rank, do you have any that you particularly like? Uh, there's a little book that, that I've used and shared with my students uh, simply called Bridges. It's published, uh, self-published, and it's online by TSP Press uh, that describes how to build these kinds of worldview bridges to Islam and other religions as well. And then the other one is uh, Nabil Jabour's book, um, that's all about Muslim worldview. I think it was uh, crossed through the eyes of the crescent, and that's that gives a good explanation of Muslim worldviews. And so, and even within Islam, there's a variety of worldviews. There's definitely some things that go across the board, but there's some variety as well. But think of that in terms of you know uh, Hindu worldviews and animistic worldviews. There's so many different ways in which people view the world. If you come from an animistic background and you think everything that happens in the world is spiritual, well then it'll be really complex for us who come from a modern worldview where you know if somebody's sick, it doesn't have to be because a demon's put a curse on them. It's because you know they have not taken, washed their hands and they picked up something and put it in their mouth and now they've got a bacterial infection or something like that. So very different ways of of viewing the world. Well, that's it for this week's show. Uh, Thank you, Dr. Rankin, for coming in and uh, enlightening us. This has been a really good, actually, good podcast. Uh, But uh, uh, again, listeners, please, 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 uh, iTunes reviews, uh, tell us what you think, comment at truthaboutmuslims.com comments at truthaboutmuslims.com thank you comments at truthaboutmuslims.com and uh, uh, and please continue to spread the word thank you guys for the ones that uh, continue to post on Facebook our links um, to the iTunes page and uh, uh, we really appreciate uh, everyone's support so please keep listening